So I, I thought I'd just kind of start with a moment that I think we can all relate to. Um, every now and then I'll find myself standing in the middle of a room in my house, and I got this real confused look on my face, and I'm just like, why did I come in here? You ever have that moment? You're just like, what? Why did I come in? Maybe it's, it's, you know, you're standing in front of the refrigerator. You got the door open. It's getting cold on your ankles, and you're just like, I must have been hungry, I guess. What am I, why would I do, oh, I need it. I'm making cereal. I need the milk, right? We have these moments in life where we're like, what am I doing here? Why, why did I get here? This seems to be a theme song for many moments of my life. Uh, years ago, I used to work as a volunteer with a youth ministry uh, with a church outside of Charlotte, and, um, and, and there was a season where we didn't have any um, female sponsors to lead some of the girls' groups. And so I found myself in the weirdest position. I was the leader of a middle school girls' small group. And like, in my mind at least, that is the opposite of me. Like, if there was a spectrum, I was like, there's me on this end, and then over here is like middle school girls. But, but there were nice girls, and, and we learned to love each other, and, and they, needed, they needed an adult. And, and so I remember there being one night, so we were just, just talking about whatever the topic was, and the girls got to going on this, this subject. I think it was some drama happening at school. There was this boy, and you know, and I'm just like, but I found myself totally drawn in. I was like, no, he didn't. Girl, <laughs> listen, what you need to do is, and in that moment, this is a true story, in this moment... <laughs> I'm in my head going, Chris, what are you doing here? Like, how did you get to this place in your life? Um, and so what am I doing here? I think that's a quest, question that can be asked in so many scenarios in our life. Sometimes it's bad scenarios. You ever been with that bad group of friends? Hopefully it was a long time ago for you, but maybe recently. And you're, you're with your friends and something's going down. And all of a sudden the blue lights come up behind you and you're terrified and you're like, what am I doing here, <laughs> you know? Or maybe it's a good thing, like uh, if you've been at a thing where maybe a banquet or a, a surprise birthday party where a bunch of people are, are honoring you and you're kind of humbled. You're like, man, what am I doing here? Why, why are all these people feeling this way about me? That question, what am I doing here, is kind of gonna guide us this morning. We've been dissecting Sunday for six weeks now and it's been really cool to take apart the pieces of our Sunday service and ask ourselves, why do we do that? Why do we have these moments of singing and teaching and communion and last week we talked about offering and generosity and, and we talked about worship and all these things. Like, Why do we do those things? But today what I wanna do is just bore in just a little bit deeper and get to the root question of maybe the whole series, which is why do we even come in here? What are we doing here? Maybe you found yourself in church on Sunday morning with this dumb look on your face like, what am I doing here? Like, why did I come? Or maybe it was that moment when you were pulling up, uh, or maybe it was a crazy morning at home, and you're like, do I even need to go today? Like, is that even a thing? I was just talking to one of you in the lobby, and that was exactly what you said. And I was like, man, I'm glad you're here today, because I hope that you feel good about your decision to be here. Because why are we here? Why do we do this? Why do Christians go to church once a week like we do? Why can't we just stay home? Why can't we just sleep in like everybody else? Why can't we just, I mean, aren't there podcasts? Like I could listen to sermons on, on, my, on my iPhone. I could listen to the radio. Like all day long, there's channels. That's all they do is, is play sermons. Like why can't I just do that? Why can't I just download music and listen to worship songs? That song that Aaron just sang with the band, like that's totally on uh, YouTube for free. Like I don't even have to buy that. Like I, why can't I just do that? Why can't I just read my Bible by myself and let well enough be good enough, right? Why can't I do that? Well, the Bible says a lot about why we're here. And all throughout the Bible, you see a theme developed that God's a real big fan of his people gathering together for the purpose of what we do here. Probably the most condensed and concise verse that I studied a lot through it this past week and 
And uh, I landed on this one verse that when you look at the question, why do we go to church? This is one that a lot of people point at. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read 24 and 25, but this is what it says there. It says, let us consider how we might spur one another along toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so that idea of like, you know... Some people give up the habit of meeting together. But I want to encourage you to do that because in doing so, you can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The truth is, this is the truth, and we talk about it a lot here, life is hard. Life is hard. In a phrase, we, we are venture church, and early on we said this a lot. We say it less frequently now, but no one should have to venture alone. Like, life is hard, and we need, we need each other. And God knows that the journey is hard, and so he's given us each other. That's why we meet together. Honestly, I could just say that and walk away, but I think that's a little vague. And I think that we could actually walk away with even more than that. So for our Bible time today, we always want to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. I want to read a section of the book of Philippians. We spent a long time studying that back in the fall uh, in our series called Game Plan. We went through the whole book of Philippians. If you got a Bible today, would you grab it and turn over to the book of Philippians? It's in the New Testament. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, we have Bibles on the floor that you can use and keep if you need one, or the scripture will be on the screen behind me as well. Um, but we'll be in the book of Philippians, and when Paul talks to the Philippians here, you can tell that he is so proud of that church there. As Paul kind of helped to get that church started from the get-go, and then to see how much it had blossomed, he's proud of how far they've come. He, last week, we've read from the book of, uh, of 2 Corinthians, and we saw that he was kind of bragging about the church at Philippi. That was one of those uh, Macedonian churches that he was talking about. And so uh, you can see as Paul, as we, as we open up, that he's really proud of his church there. So here's what I would like to do, because I feel a little bit uh, like, like Paul in the way that he says these things. When Paul talks to the church at Philippi. I want to hear it today as if he's also talking to the church here at Wilmington. And I think some of the things he says to this young church in Philippi, he would definitely say to encourage us as we continue to meet together and ask the question maybe, why should I go? Why should I stay plugged in? And maybe you'll hear it like he's saying it directly to you. So let's dissect Sunday. Let's ask that question. We're going to start in the book of Philippians. And we're going to look actually almost through the whole book of Philippians by looking at three little passages. We're going to start in chapter 1, and we'll be in verse 3. So let me just jump right in and see the first thing that Paul says to these guys in Philippi. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Like Paul was there that first time that the first few people started to meet. And he's like, man, you guys have done so good. And I'm so proud of you. And I pray with joy for you. Um, verse 6, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what a great personal note we get from Paul there. Such a great man. And to think back to that church at Philippi, to think, man, what an honor for them to have received such an opening note. He fondly remembers uh, the early days of the church. But then look again at verse 6, because I think this is something we can actually bite into. It's actually not our main point today, but maybe you're just here today looking for something to hold on to. I really think this is one of those verses you can hold on to for dear life. Look at verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, I don't know where you are with your faith. I don't know what struggles you're dealing with. I don't know what problems or pain or brokenness that you have in your life. Or maybe you're just kind of trying to figure out what you're doing here. Why did I come? I want you to not miss this. That one of the promises of God is that he will start something in you. And he will see it through into completion. And it's that love that begins to purify us. And it helps us to come into relationship with God 
through Jesus' love. And so hold on to that. Know that God doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't drop us off. He doesn't break his promises to us. He's going to see us through. In verses 7 and 8 in, the, in chapter 1, he kind of says some more personal things to that church. But then in verse 9, I want to land on what I think is the first of several verses in the book of Philippians that actually starts to teach us this morning what coming together is all about. Let's look at verse 9. He says, so this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I want to focus right back. There's a lot of meat in that. I just want to focus back to verse 9, and I want to ask this question as we get going together. Let me ask you, how closely would you say your spiritual life we all have a spiritual life. I think whether we want to admit it or not, there is a spiritual life. How closely would you say your spiritual life resembles that prayer or that hope that Paul has for them? If we could go back and just look at verse 9 again. Basically, it says, my prayer is that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. How close does your spiritual life mimic that? Is your spiritual life abounding more and more in knowing about God's love and in knowledge and in depth of insight? I have a confession, okay, and I think this place is a safe place to share a confession, and I think it's a good thing for me as someone who speaks a lot to make sure that I'm honest, and my confession is my spiritual life doesn't always line up with that. It doesn't. I mean, there are days, there are weeks, there have been seasons of my life when I could not honestly say my spiritual life is abounding more and more. There, The better description might be like instead of a journey, it's more like I'm sitting on a rocking chair on the front porch of my spiritual life. You know, just sitting still. Maybe more like a Michael Jackson moonwalk. Like I'm kind of headed backwards. Maybe I'm tripping and I'm falling. And the truth is I think that we can all relate to that part. It's probably less relatable for any of us to go, you know what? I got it figured out. I'm all, I'm killing it. (laughs) Killing it spiritually, so take notes. I think more often most of us are like, "Mm, it's a struggle. And I think what Paul realizes and what we all realize is that our spiritual journey can often be an uphill journey. It normally is, and there's a reason for that. There's a big, big reason for that. We talk about it all the time. A spiritual journey is actually a spiritual battle. I mean, God has good things planned for our life, and he wants us to seek him, and there are spiritual evil forces in the world, and bad people even, and their goal is to bring us down, and to pull us away from the plan that God has for our life, and to pull us away from his holiness and his goodness and his love. And so it's the reason why it's an uphill battle, because we're not the only ones working here. And sometimes it's easier just to give in. Or sometimes it's easier to sit on that rocking chair and let life pass us by. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, Paul, let's get back to Paul's letter to the Philippians. And, and as you read it, you see this theme develop. And we've already looked at this. This first little like phrase I want to land on is this, this phrase in verse 9. He says, abound more and more. You see that? Abound more. We want to be people who abound more. We grow. We are seeking this next level. We're looking for next steps. And this is the idea of constantly improving and trying hard. So in this section, second, that's the first section we read. In the second section, we're going to see that Paul expands on that a little bit more. And now in verse 27, this is what Paul says, okay? He says, so whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. So in other words, do your best to seek God. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a a manner worthy of the gospel. And then he continues, then, whether I come and I see you, like in person, or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for faith. 
for the faith of the gospel. And so first we got this idea of abounding more. And then in verse 27 we get this second idea. He says, striving together as one for faith in the gospel. And so here we have this new concept, striving together. In the first concept, abounding more and more, you get this idea of constantly improving, right? And it's trying to move the ball forward and trying to take a next step. And then when you get to the second idea in verse 27, striving together, it's the same basic idea, right? Trying to improve, move on to the next step, get better and better. But there's a new concept. It's not just about more and more by yourself. It's striving together. Don't do it alone. Come together and do this. And that idea continues, improving, taking next steps, trying to work harder, encouraging one another, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. In the Super Bowl is tonight. We joked a little bit about it earlier, and I don't know if your team's playing or not, but guess what? Uh, odds are, if you like the NFL and you're not a Patriots fan and a Falcons fan, your team already lost this year, right? And that's just a reality. And here's another reality. No matter how much both of these teams want to win tonight, only one is going to walk away with a trophy. All right, let's not talk about them. Let's go to the second place team and ask a question. When they hit this place where they realize, I've, I've strived together. I tried to abound more and more. I did the best I could this season, and we got second place. There's really two ways they can react to that, and this is analogous to our lives. The, the first way that we can react to that is, uh, oh, shoot, we lost. And you, and, you, and you whine about it, and you, you mourn, and you you're, you're self-pity, and you just kind of sit, and you'll see people. You'll see them. They're going to be the, the other team's colors falling down in confetti all around these poor people who just lost. <laughs> and the cameras are going to love zooming in on them, and they're going to be crying. They're going to be down like this. And let's be honest. That's fair, right? They worked really hard. They put their heart into it, and they lost. That's one way we can deal with it. When things don't go our way, and we're trying to strive, and when I'm really sitting on the rocking porch in my spiritual life, like we can just be like, uh, I stink at this. Maybe I should quit. And there's another way that this team can react. And the other way is to say, man, but we made it to the Super Bowl. We did really good. We did really, really good. We did the best we could. We strived together, and we made it here. Now, let's be honest. Like, that's, in sports, that's hogwash. Like, no one wants to be second place. No professional athlete wants a participation trophy. Like, they, they want the Super Bowl trophy. But in our spiritual life, it's very true. Because so often we hit these walls where we mess up and we trip and we fall and we, we do the backwards walking thing. We, we slide and we mess up and it's so easy for us to just say, like, why even try? Like, I've messed up so much. Why even keep going to church? Why even keep staying in touch with my Christian friends? Why open my Bible? I can't, can't remember what I read last time. What makes me think I'm going to remember what I read this time? The Paul says the goal is not to hit a home run. The goal is that we strive together as one for the faith. That idea of striving is just doing our best to improve daily. To take one more step, one more step, one more step. Paul writes a lot to the Philippians, and, and, and we unpacked that a couple months ago. But when we get forward into chapter 3, there's something where Paul kind of confessed. I made a confession earlier about my spiritual life, and, uh, and you probably have the same confession. Paul does too. Let's look at chapter uh, 3, starting at verse 12. He says this, Not that I've already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You hear that? Like Paul himself understands that living for Jesus is a journey and that it can be an uphill journey. And so he says, look, I haven't obtained my goal. I haven't attained it. I, but what I do, I press forward. If you don't know Paul's story or maybe you forgot it, let me remind you who this guy is. 
Before Paul became a Christian, Paul was a bad dude. He was a zealot for his faith, and in, so, in doing so, he actually went out and persecuted Christians. He was responsible for the killing of Christians in the name of his faith. Today, we would call that extremism. We would call it terrorism. But that's what Paul did. He was a bad guy, had a bad reputation around Christians. But something happened with Paul. He met Jesus. And Jesus came into his life. He says, listen, I know that you've messed up, but I can use you. And as he talks to Jesus, this is what Jesus tells Paul. I want to use you to spread the message of my love to the whole non-Jewish world. And so here we have Paul in Philippians chapter 3, and he's talking. Paul, the great missionary who spread the faith throughout the Mediterranean world. Uh, Paul, the author of the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. Paul, who spoke face to face with the resurrected Jesus. Paul says, even I don't have it figured out. Like, I've been trying, but even I don't have it figured out. But here's what I do. I press on. I press on. And it's the third time in this book where we see this theme come out. We've seen it. Let's just review them. The first one, he says, abound more and more. Abound more and more. He says, strive together. Keep moving forward. And here he says, I press on. And so there's that theme again. And then in verse 13, he continues. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. You hear that word again? Straining? Sounds like the same thing. Step after step after step. I'm just working. I'm walking. I'm going. I'm not sitting still. I press on. Abound more and more. Strive together. He said, I press on toward the goal to which to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Last summer, uh, I went hiking with my, my family. Uh, I have learned so much about God from hiking with my family. Um, if you've been to our church long, I tell a couple of stories a year about some camping trip I took with my family. I learned so much as a kid watching my parents, and then now as an adult and going camping with my kids, I just think God sets me up for these, these moments. And uh, So this past summer, we were hiking uh, right at the border of the Tennessee, North Carolina mountains and the Smoky Mountains National Park, and uh, we decided this time to go on a four-mile hike. Now, our kids now are 10 and 7. Um, they're pretty physically able and physically fit. I mean, like most kids, they don't stop moving ever. So they're like in top shape. Um, they're killing it. But four miles, like for an adult that doesn't hike often, that's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good hike, right? And then for kids, if you've got little short legs, like that's even harder. And so this was a quite, quite an undertaking we were ta- taking on. And so here's what I've learned. The difficulty of hiking is not really the distance, It's not the distance. As humans, like, we were made to walk for miles and miles and miles. Even if you're not in great shape, if you just have to walk, like you ever run out of gas, (laughs) just walk. I mean, you you can walk for miles and miles. You might need to take a breather. So in hiking, the difficulty is not in the distance. The difficulty is in the incline. Because walking uphill is hard. You are fighting gravity. You're actually fighting gravity both ways. On the way up, you're fighting gravity. On the way down, it's fighting you back. Like, you know, tripping on in, you're running. And so hiking can be difficult. And, but we, had, we sat on this trail. We're going to go see some waterfalls. And it's beautiful. My wife and all are excited. And our kids, we, we convinced them. Like, we got all day. We got plenty of trail mix. Let's do this. And so we set off on the course. And we start walking. Now, that first mile or so is actually pretty flat. So it's pretty easy. But when we hit the second mile, things changed because the incline began to change. Parents. Cue the complaining. <laughs> How much farther is it? I don't know. Where's the top of the mountain? We're not there yet. Let's just keep going, right? Uh, we, 
I'm tired. Can we sit down? And then the next question, which I think my daughter asked it, and I've got to admit, this is a brilliant question. This is her question. Why are we even doing this? <laughs> which is a brilliant question. I'm like, I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, we had a great campsite down there. We could have just stayed there. I don't know, but now we're up here. So we're just walking. Well, we, we get to this point where it's like, okay, it, it's, it's getting, it's tiring. We press on, step after step. We abound more and more. Like, we're walking and we're walking. Uh, but there was a point where my daughter, who at the time was only six, she, she'd had enough, man. She was done. And she was like, I just need to sit down. I'm like, fair enough. Let's take a breather. So we find a little log and she sits down. I love it. She sits down. She's like, I'm not moving. <laughs> like, this is it. We're staying here, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. We, we, uh, we probably should take a, a break, but I'm like, but you know, we can't, we can't stay here. We can't stay here. Like, all of our food is down there, and then I tell her what every good dad should tell their kids, which is, and you can't stay here because the bears like to eat little girls, and so <laughs> that's good parenting in my opinion, and so, uh, <laughs> and so she's like, okay, so, so we make a plan. Like, we're going to take a little rest, but then we're just going to get up, and we're just going to walk like 100 more steps, okay? Can we walk 100 steps? 100? It's not that bad. Okay, so we wake up, and it's like one, two, three, four. Before long, we get into a cadence. We take 100 steps, and then, and then and if we get to 100 steps and we're tired, we, we can stop again. That's fine. We'll take a little break. And so I don't remember exactly how it went, but we, we take the steps, and then occasionally it's like, okay, we get to a log. We get to a bench, and we sit down for a minute. Or maybe we don't need a break this time. Maybe we're going downhill for a little bit. Or maybe we get back to the stream, and we want to play in the water a little bit. But we get up, and we walk, and then we take a breather, and then we get up, and we walk, and we take a breather. And then something happened. Something clicked. And, and this is where it like, really hit me this week as I was thinking about this, that what it, at one point had been this arduous, arduous, painful, uphill battle, it became an adventure. Like, it became fun. It became something that we had stories to tell about. I was making up ridiculous games. Like, as a parent, you know, you've got to make up the dumbest games. Like, you just make stuff up. You're like, let's count butterflies with red wings. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a fun game. And then it's like, I found one. I'm like, I'm glad you like this game. Um, so we're doing all this stuff, but this journey, this uphill battle became an adventure. No analogies are perfect, so let's just stop it there. And let's just see the relationship that can have with our spiritual life. Uh, stories like this really help me understand what Paul means when he says, not that I have already obtained this, or that I've already attained my goal, but I press on. You can't just stay up on the mountain. You can't just sit down on the trail. It's like the, the worst idea. But at the time, it seems so easy, and it seems so proper, and it seems like what we should do. And we just sit down, and sometimes we sit down in our temptation. Sometimes we sit down in our sin. Sometimes we sit down in our laziness. Sometimes we sit down in our complacency. Yeah, I'm good enough. Yeah, I see how my friends are like doing Bible studies and stuff, but eh, I think I read the Bible before. I know what's in there. Paul says, I, I haven't attained my goal, but I press on. Guys, as a church, we cannot be on the rocking chair. We cannot be stagnant. We cannot be lazy in our faith. We cannot be people who are willing to say, well, nobody's perfect, so let's just let live and let live, and let's just, yeah, let's just hang out. Let's not press forward. There's plenty we can do to move the ball forward. Let me tell you why. This is why we, we have to, as a church, as a body, as a family, and as individuals, we have to because God has a plan for our lives. You were created and you were given purpose with your life. And that purpose, the, the baseline purpose for our life is to bring God glory with everything that we do. And then for each one of us, it gets more and more specific. How do I do that as a teacher, as a father, as a mother, as an employee, as a business owner, as a citizen, as a, a voter, as a football fan? 
How do I I bring God glory with the things that are in my life? And the writer of Hebrews says, well, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I want to remind us of something. At our church, uh, we have a three-part little statement that we say, and we've been saying a lot through this series, that as a church and as individuals, we want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. We want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents, and I want to remind us what that's about. What does it mean to be God-chasing? Well, to be God-chasing says, I'm putting God at the center of all the different parts of my life. Because there are so many things in our life that we could like chase and, and, and pursue and make our number one goal. But being a God-chaser is making God's heart my heart. Of making his purposes my purposes. His priorities my priorities. Jesus said that the greatest commandment, the greatest thing we can attain, achieve or, or fight for, is that we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. That's God-chasing. We want to be God-chasers. We want to be grace-shaped. Being grace-shaped is recognizing that only God's grace can truly define us. There are so many things in this world that we can find identity in. We find identity in our occupation. What do you do? Oh, that's what you do? That must be what you're all about. We find identity in the things that we're for or the things that we're against. We find identity and we're shaped by the, um, the experiences that we've had or the lack of experience or the access we have the resources or the lack of access that we have the resources or our failures or our victories. All of these things begin to shape us. And God says, no, 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 I am the creator. Only I can shape you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not by works, not by what you do in this world. If that was true, we could brag about it. But it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. And in that moment, God says, you're my workmanship. I am the artist who made you. Let me give you purpose. Let me shape who you are. We're grace-shaped. We're God-chasing. We're grace-shaped. And then he says in that passage, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. That third thing, being a love agent, is about saying, man, all the things that God has done for me and in this world, I want to let those things overflow into this world around me. As Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, he says, listen, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love other people. We paraphrase it. Be a love agent. But the Bible says that Christians are ambassadors of God's love. You know what an ambassador is? They get to walk out and speak on behalf of their country. And God says, you are my ambassador. You get to speak on behalf of me. You get to go into this world and you get to be the Jesus and the Bible and the love of God that they may never otherwise see unless they see it in you. That's what being a love agent is. And that's why our small groups, every small group that we have, as we do our small group training and stuff and we talk to our small group leaders, uh, we say, listen, we want you to at least once a semester do a service project together as love agents. Go out and just be those ambassadors in whatever way. That's why our city team is every single month we have a new initiative that we, uh, that we pour our whole church body into. Like, can we, help, uh, can we help foster children in the city? Can we work with the homeless population and the people living in poverty through Vigilant Hope? Like, all these things. This is a goal as a church for us to say, as we gather together, let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's be love agents. We want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And when Paul says, listen, not that I've already attained this, or that I've reached my goal. How many of us would be able to say, like, I'm nailing it. I'm killing it. I'm hitting it out of the park, man. Call me Babe Ruth. Home run. God chasing grace-shaped love agents. I think most of us would say, 
but this is what I do. Forgetting what is behind me, I press on towards that goal to which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're love agents. We're God chasers. We're grace shaped. So let us then consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, just like the writer of Hebrews said. Let me ask you a question. What next step can you take? It's a simple question, and pretty much I'm almost done here. So, like, don't start packing up. Don't start zipping bags. Don't start thinking about lunch or football fixings. For real, think about this question. What next step can you take? Because sitting on the log or rocking in the chair, is just not what God wants for your life. He wants you to move forward. He wants you to press on. He wants you to abound more. He wants you to strive together. What next steps? Let me give you just a couple of, a couple of ideas. Here's one. Maybe for you, you're new at this journey. Like you didn't even really know you were on a spiritual journey until maybe you started coming to church recently or, or someone reminded you or you've got a friend who's been talking to you about spiritual stuff and you're like, oh, I'm not religious. People say that all the time. It's like, oh, neither is our pastor. Like we're, religion is a checklist that says I've pleased God with my actions. I've done the ceremonies. This isn't about religion. This is about our spiritual life. And so maybe you're in a place right now where you're like, I don't know where I am. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. My encouragement to you is press on. Press on. And it might mean that you need to sit down and take a breather for a minute. Take it in. Think about what's happening. But don't, don't be satisfied there. Get up and take a few steps. Uh, here's a step. Stick around for one more week. I've been saying that the whole time that we've been around as a church. Maybe the only step you need to take is just come back to church one more week. Knowing that God's formula works. God's love, his grace, plus his community, the church, it changes your life. Maybe a thing you could do is hang around for 10 minutes after church today. Every month we have this thing we call Venture in 10. Uh, basically, it's me. We hang out in some chairs. like back. Behind. I'm, a, I'm a nice guy. You can hang out with me. Uh, we hang out for just 10 minutes uh, over kind of near the coffee area. And if you've never been to a Venture in 10, but you'd like to know about where Venture Church came from and how you could take next steps, that's what we talk about. I give you a piece of paper say, hey, here's some ideas. Stick around for that. Stick around for that. And, and maybe you can know some next steps. Here's another thing to consider. Maybe, maybe uh, you've kind of done that, but have you ever taken that big step of saying, I am a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you want to. I'm going to tell you, like, the passage into the kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with a Facebook religious status or whether or not you attend church. The Bible says that if we want to be saved, that one of the things we've got to do is confess that Jesus is Lord. We've got to do it with our mouth and make it public. You don't have to stand on stage like I do every week, but you can look at your friends and your family. You can come around with a group of people and you can say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Like, I believe that. And not that I've already attained this, but what I do is I press forward, forgetting what's behind me and move forward. Maybe you need to do that. The Bible also says if you want to become a Christian, you should be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God's presence in our lives. That's an amazing step, huge step. Some steps are small, others are huge. This is a big one. This is a big one saying, I, I want to be baptized. Like, I want to be full-fledged, all in, so I can have this forgiveness, so I can have God's presence in my life, as, as the Scriptures promised me. You know what? If that's something you've been thinking about, today could be your day. To get up off the rocking chair and say, I'm in. I'm all in. And I know it's cold outside, and you've seen pictures on Facebook of people getting baptized in the ocean. we got indoor pools and baptistries and churches around town that we could go visit today. And you'll still be in home by the Super Bowl. <laughs> Maybe that's what you want to do. Come speak to me. Or come speak to somebody that was in the band. Um, we actually don't ask you to come forward and do this because the Bible doesn't require that of you. Actually, what it requires is that you just speak to someone and say, what should I do to be saved? 
And somebody can talk to you about that. I, my name's Chris. I'd be glad to introduce you to somebody else or talk to you myself. Make that commitment for being all in. That's a step. Here's a third step I'd like to, to suggest. If you've already started that journey, if you've already given your life to Jesus, my encouragement for you is this. Abound more and more in love, in knowledge, in the depth of insight. Grow. Take more steps. Here's a challenge. Commit to being here. Culturally, I think I've said it before, culturally, I think the average church attendance is something like once to twice every six weeks. And so then we schedule something every other Sunday. We've got, we've got, we work on Sundays. I get it, a lot, a lot of you have a hard time getting off on Sundays, but a lot of your bosses would totally be fine with switching a shift with somebody so you could be at work with your, your church with your community, but you just maybe haven't been brave enough to ask. Maybe just ask, or maybe if I can work every other Sunday. And obviously, if you're here, you've done that. Great job. Maybe you're just really busy, and you're plugged into a lot of things, and you got your kids in 15 travel leagues, and you're signed up for PTA Mom of the Year, and you're like, you're really busy, and so, I don't know, i got to sleep in on Saturday, or I've got to not do this. Let me just encourage you, encourage you, commit to being here. Not because it's a checklist, but because God's formula for community works. And the more we're together, the more we can learn to abound more and more, the more we can spur one another along to love and good deeds. Maybe you just need to commit to that. Maybe you need to commit to take a next level step with like getting into a small group or a volunteer team or just grab somebody that you're at church with now and say, hey, you want to start getting together maybe once a week just to pray together? Oh man, those steps, every step you take gets you closer and closer to where God wants you to be. I want to say these last couple things before we close. The first one is this. Only Jesus saves us. Only Jesus saves us. No amount of steps is going to get us there. And that's a beautiful thing. Because for every step that we fall short, Jesus makes up the difference. We're grace-shaped. He says, I got you. I love you. Just do your best to pursue me with your life. Why do we have church on Sundays? To spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's why we do this. So don't be satisfied sitting on the spiritual rocking chair and not growing. Make a point to abound more, to strive together, not alone, to press on. I love being in church family with you. I love it. I'm going to close with the words of Paul from Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hey, let me pray for our church today. God, you're good. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the ability to call in your name. Thank you for this constantly reassuring us that um, it's not our perfection that saves us. It's, it's your perfection. It's your sacrifice. Thank you for this family, for this community that, that week by week is, is growing and, and it's uh, making a difference. Thank you for our city team, that, um, just the volunteers who, who, <laughs> who force us, spur us on to love and good deeds. It would be so easy to not do that and just be lazy. Thank you. I thank you for the small groups that are represented here, um, the men's breakfast and the girls' night out that they have, our, our college ministry and, and the teens that gather together for the children that meet in the back and all these little smaller pods of encouragement that are happening Lord I just pray your Holy Spirit move through those things and help us to take the next step even though that journey can be uphill 
It's so awesome to know that you're here to guide us, to hold our hands, to let us know that it's okay to rest, and to encourage us to take more steps. We love you, Lord. We really do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.